Well, folks, Gen Z is here. Uh, the first ones are they're halfway through college already. So what do you need to know about a generation who doesn't really remember life without smartphones and they even have the option of taking an Uber to high school? They want things to be simple and transparent. That's what you need to know about them. Uh, one area the student housing industry has struggled to make simple and transparent has been utility management. That's why Simple Bills was created. Ten years ago, two Baylor students who were frustrated at splitting up bills with roommates created a company that solved that frustration and launched Simple Bills. Soon after that, they realized not only could they help roommates and their, their college buddies out, but they also realized they could help student housing managers with this process as well and give them back more time to focus on their residents and give them better data to easily recognize potential savings. If you are a student housing manager and you are not providing a simple and transparent process for your resident utility management, you will not serve Gen Z well. And it will show up in your online reputation, which will ultimately be paid for in your marketing expenses. If this is you, contact Simple Bills today at www.simplebills.com. Welcome to the Student Housing Insight Podcast, where we are putting you in touch with the people who bring student housing to life. I'm your host, Wesley Dees, and joining me today is our new co-host, or one of our new co-hosts, Ken Miller. Hi, Wes. How's it going, Ken? It's going great. Pleasure being here today. Well, we uh, you've got a great interview today. We'll, we'll talk about that in just a second. But th this is kind of the year of, of bringing in new co-hosts and helping me really put together some great content for our audience because, quite honestly, I was getting a little stretched thin <laughs> on the amount of interviews and, and trying to, you know, really trying to make sure that our audience got great content and then, you know, also do all the other things that we're being really aggressive with at, at Student Housing Insight this year. So thanks so much for, for being a part of the team. And if you will, really quick, I won't, you and I go back, you know, quite a bit. You've been, uh, uh, we've never worked with each other or, or for each other, but we've been, uh, we've been in the industry long enough that, that we've come to know each other pretty well. And, and I certainly consider you, you know, a mentor in, in this career of, of not just student housing, but property management as a whole. And it's always been great to, to bounce ideas off of you. And, and because of that, I'm super excited about, you know, you being able to do that for our audience. So if you will, just give everybody a little bit of background on, on your career and how it's intersected with student housing and what you're up to now. Sure. Be glad to do that, Wes. It's, and thank you for the, the compliments. I know it seems like uh, we've we've kind of crossed paths here and there uh, over the years. You, you've, we've both worked for a couple of the same companies and uh, had a lot of good ex experiences. But um, uh, my background goes back about 27 years or so in multifamily. It's, it doesn't seem like it's that long. And I guess if we factored in the dog years thing, I would be ready for retirement <laughs> right now. <laughs> But uh, it's been a great ride. Uh, got my start back in the mid-90s with a company called Insignia Financial Group, which uh, you know, became uh, Aimco and a few other companies uh, over the years. 
as they sold out. But um, that's where the, the start actually happened and got a tremendous amount of experience there. And then that took me you know, into- You know something that's really crazy? Just talk about Inco for just a second. Yeah. There's, uh, yeah, I won't get into to necessarily who told me this and how they know, but um, I would say it was probably early 90s, maybe maybe even late 80s, but I think it was early to, to mid 90s. Um, I, had a, I know of another consultant that was brought in by Inco to basically kind of dissect their, their markets where they had properties in college markets. <laughs> he came back to to let Amco know that they were actually the largest student housing provider in the U.S. and they didn't even know it. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, it's uh, that's that, that is uh, certainly not surprising because uh, in the, in the th- three and a half years I was there, uh, we grew our multifamily business to I, I've lost count of how many units we managed. Uh, we were the largest multifamily provider there for a bit. Uh, before they became AMCO. And then uh, we went from 2 million square feet of commercial uh, management up to 200 million. Oh, wow. Uh, we had we had no uh, presence in the uh, condo co-op management group. But we bought 60,000 units up in New York uh, from the Douglas Elliman Chrysler Company. I'm, uh, yeah, that one. And then uh, we bought a, a brokerage firm, Edward S. Gordon, and all. And then we bought an entire group of commercial out on the West Coast. And all that happened in three and a half years. Wow. So that was a that was a you better jump on the the change train or um, uh, or else. I know Andrew Farkas had a. A phrase that we put in every break room, every print room that we had at corporate, and it was change is a way of life at Insignia. <laughs> and then he also had one of his other famous sayings was, uh, we're on a train here, so you can either you know, help guide the train, you can uh, participate in helping other other folks who are on the train, or you know, you might want to consider getting off the train. So, <laughs> wow. Wow. But it was uh, it was quite the quite the experience, and it actually set the stage for everything else I've done in my career. Which is, you've got to move at the speed of light. You got to take advantage of situations that come up, and if you hesitate, you get left in the dust. So um, it uh, provided that sense of urgency that that grew from there, and uh, then it really took me on and propelled my career into other areas of housing, and uh, got my first taste of uh, of student housing in 2001 and was the uh, chief information officer for Ambling out of Valdosta, Georgia. Mm-hmm. And at one point, you know, I know American Campus and Ambling were the, basically the only, pretty much the only two folks. I know there was Dinnerstein and a couple others, but we were the kind of the, the ones on the leading forefront. We were always uh, competing against one another to, to see how many sites we could build. And uh, we were doing a lot of that, uh, a lot of that stuff with just off-campus housing, it was relatively new in 2001 and two. Uh, it seems like yesterday, but it was a few years ago. And at one point, Ambling grew to, I think, somewhere around 40,000 beds. So, pretty substantial yeah. company. And then we saw over the years how, uh, what, 30 other companies came on. Some have come and gone, but student housing has really become mainstream. And now it's, you know, a recognized area like, you know, like conventional housing or affordable and a great way for 
for owners to invest money and see a return and provide a service at the same time. So now, um, and, and you also played some CTO roles. I think one of them was at, at peak or maybe the former police properties. Yeah. Uh, so you, you bring that technology point or experience to, to this role as co-host as well. And then I guess most recently prior to, to what you're doing now, you were COO at, at Lend Company, which also has a, a student housing portfolio. But but tell us now what you're doing with, with Buyers Access and and how you, you know, obviously want to keep this a little short, but how you see that moving in with, uh, with what's going on in the student housing world today. Sure. So um, you hit a couple of points there on the technology side. Most people don't even know this, but I actually started my career as a programmer uh, right out of college. <laughs> and uh, of course, you know, they won't let me do that. won't let me near the code now, but um, started managing a bunch of people who do, but uh, wrote a lot of, a lot of applications way back in the day. And it's sort of, uh, again, a lot of these things prepared me for where I am now, but um, on the buyer's access side, buyer's access is a company that's been in business for about 35 years. Uh, I like to call it the best kept secret in multifamily because uh, they were just, you know, like like a lot of third party fee managers grinding along and doing what they do and uh, maintaining and give you a quick background. Buyer's Access actually was, we're talking about EMCO a little bit earlier, uh, Buyer's Access has an intersect point with them. So uh, it, it was a, a company that was incubated by EMCO back in the uh, mid 80s. And uh, a lot of people go, well, how did that happen? Well, with, when AIMCO had 200,000 units, uh, they could easily go to manufacturers or suppliers and say, hey, we have 200,000 units. Give us the best deal you can possibly give us on all of our purchases. Mm-hmm. And we call that MRO, which stands for Maintenance, Repair, and Operating. And uh, just the things you buy every day, you know, anything from toilet flappers to air conditioning units mm-hmm. for the properties. And they had so much buying power that uh, they could go in and say, hey, give us the best discount you can possibly give us. We don't want your rack price. Give us the best. And as a result of that, they said, you know what? We found a little opportunity here. Let's uh, create a group that simply does purchasing, and we'll call it a group purchasing organization or GPO. So that uh, was the early, early days back in the mid-80s. And over time, Amco, of course, realized that you know we're, we're a – property management company. We're not a group purchasing company. So we need to set this thing out on its own. And you saw that happen a lot with the Archstones of the world and Post and everybody else. They incubated companies and then uh, those companies went on to be bigger companies. But uh, in this case, this happened with Buyer's Access and they uh, came out as a separate entity. And so a group of private equity investors, uh, along with Interline Brands, most people don't know what Interline Brands is, but no, they all know. <laughs> you also you know who the Home Depot is. Oh yeah. Uh, so Interline Brands owns Home Depot, and uh, so they own fifty percent of Buyers Access, and uh, the other part is is private equity. And uh, so Buyers Access is a very well positioned company, uh, well funded, uh, and has been around for the duration. Uh, gotcha. The the difference had been that we had been a little bit quiet multifamily for a while and servicing our uh, individual folks and really not uh, doing a lot of the, the marketing things that we're doing now. So the last couple of years, Dan Hefner joined the company as uh, CEO and uh, then uh, brought me on uh, as VP of sales or actually I became VP of sales in July of last year. And uh, we have really ramped up the uh the awareness factor. So a lot of people wonder who, who we are and what we do. You know, I always like to say that 
if you're interested in saving between 10 and 20% on your standard maintenance, repair, and operating yes, uh, yes, I items, <laughs> then, then by all means, give us a call because that's what we do. We don't stock product. We're not uh, doing that, but we do have uh, 49 supplier relationships uh, that we've leveraged over the years, and we continue to grow that uh, group. And uh, we also have a, I guess I would call our secret sauce is really our people. And we have uh, a group of folks that are dedicated to evaluating everything all the way down to the site level. So if I've got a student property in the middle of nowhere, for example, or even in you know a, a good area of the company of the country, excuse me, we can service that individual site. So we work with the community directors, with the maintenance folks on what they're buying, how they're buying it, in what quantities, uh, how many deliveries, et cetera. So through a number of best practices we're able to institute here's the best way to order this is uh these are the products that you need to be ordering based upon our analysis of, of what we found you buying in the past and where we think you need to be and then collectively we put a plan together that's uh, that, that meshes with the owner and or manager's expectation level and then we drive savings through that program and we continually stay on it, which is the key part of that. So our people are watching the spend. They're identifying what's being spent, and they're making adjustments along the way, almost if you're you know, behind a control tower and making little lever changes here and there, so that overall, those pennies, nickels, and dimes are adding up to dollars and savings for the property. Ken, thanks for, for sharing that. And you know, I'll, I'll say this. I've never been a client of, of Buyer's Access. Uh, I've used similar competitors that you know have the same type of, of structure. And, and the one thing I'll say to any of the property owners and managers that are listening, if you don't have a program like Buyer's Access, uh, you're really, really missing out. I mean, this is uh, it's, it's essential to, to having, uh, you know, unless if you're Graystar or <laughs> one of the big groups that, you know, it has really got that ability to talk to the suppliers and, and negotiate best rates. You've got to have somebody like Buyer's Access in your in your back pocket. So excited about again bringing your your experience both on the on the property management side and within operations as well as from the the service side. So looking forward to more of that. But anyway, we're 15 minutes into this thing and we still got to talk about the interview that you have. We could visit for days on uh, everything else that's going on in the world, right? <laughs> yeah. So, and, and this is, I mean, this is really a, uh, you know, a lot of times we, uh, I would say probably 60 to 70% of what we talk about on this podcast has more so to do with marketing and leasing and, uh, and student affairs. And then there's the operations side. And if you're an operations person listening to this, this is your episode. If you're wanting to find ways that you can increase your NOI and get your property or portfolio humming along to what your investors and everybody else you know wants it to, to be doing, this is the episode for you. Because, Ken, you got to sit down with Andrew Smith with Ancillary Services Management. I can't remember. Where's he based out of? He is up in Virginia. Gotcha, gotcha. So, you know, Andrew gives a, a, a perfect background as far as what his company does, and and I'll let you know let the interview speak for itself because uh, there's no reason to repeat it. But it, it was one of the things that really just stood out to me on this because you know I go through it and I, I'm kind of like, well, yeah, some of this stuff really makes sense, and then and I'm thinking. You know who's not thinking about this kind of thing, but 
I have to remember, we've got a lot of, especially at the site level, we've got a lot of younger millennials, and I'm, I'm not trying to group <laughs> anybody together, but you don't know what you don't know, right? And and I think and it, it kind of took me back to early in my career where I realized I didn't I didn't know these things about contracts and not just how those contracts should be kept, but also how you can negotiate those contracts. And sometimes getting the best price isn't always you know the best deal. So I think this is just that, again if you're um, you know, I would say five to, to seven years into into the property management business, this is something you definitely want to take a listen to and, and take notes on. So if there's things that you can go back on, you know, after the weekend or whatever, and, and you've got some time to really sit down and think about it, of where your property is losing pennies at, this is a great episode to, to really go through that. And not just yeah, and I think it. you know one of the things to kind of tack onto that too, Wes, is that not everyone uh, you mentioned earlier the some of the larger companies out there that are they're managing assets on the student side as well as conventional, and not everyone has that kind of critical mass to be able to hire somebody on the inside, which is you know why you need to to have third parties like uh, like ancillary services management or even buyers access to a degree to come in and help you. You know these. That their teams become the teams of the student housing operator, and for those folks who you know who don't have somebody on their staff at corporate that is watching uh, the contracts, is watching uh, to make sure that um, that the that the contracts are being renewed on time, and that they're actually earning revenue from these ancillary contracts. Uh, it's it's important that you have somebody minding the store, so to speak, and. If you look at operations, which, again, we could talk about operations for a long time, but uh, that's certainly one of my passions after running a a pretty large third-party management company, is staying on point with each of these areas and operations is is very critical. So you only have, at, at a property, you can either raise your rents to drive more revenue, fill up your property by having it 100% occupied or managing your expenses better. That's how you, you create profitability or your NOI, net operating income. So if there are ways I could find to generate additional income beyond what I can charge in rent, then ancillary services is where you need to spend your time finding that. Uh, is it going to be winning the lottery? No, but it's going to definitely give you additional income. I call it found revenue that you wouldn't have had otherwise. Um, you can you can ask your uh, your residents to continually raise rents or you know pay you more money, so to speak, in rent. They're only going to do so much. The market's going to yeah. bear only so much of that. So then utilize those uh, those other areas of of what we group it all under an umbrella called ancillary services to drive some of those revenue sources that'll give you extra money to do some of the things you might not have been able to do at the property. Yeah. Well, hey, let's go ahead and push play on this so the audience can get into it. And then we'll come back with a couple of takeaways. And and also, Andrew also offers up a tool to help everybody out. And so we'll give more information on how you can get that tool. Great. Hope you enjoy it. Today we have with us Andrew Smith, who is the president of Ancillary Services Management. 
Andrew, it's glad to have you with us today here with uh, with our podcast for Student Housing Insight. Welcome. Well, thank you for inviting me. Great to be here. Well, so today we're going to uh, explore the myriad of world we know as ancillary services. And before we get started really deep into it, I had a few questions, and maybe we start with uh, something that maybe our podcasters may not necessarily know. Some of them may not be as familiar with ancillary services as uh, as you and I are spending the last you know, 20, 30 years in this space. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what does ancillary services mean, first of all, and then uh, why is it important to have an ancillary services strategy at your property or within your, uh, your property management organization? Well, a little bit of a loaded question. Thank you. <laughs> Start off with a bag. Really, ancillary services, it's really dependent upon the company and what they determine and what they foresee as ancillary services and what falls into that mix. My interpretation that I always go with is is it's everything, any service services that are outside of rent that help generate or save the property money is basically what I look at. So it kind of runs into everything from your laundry machines to your ATMs to it could be maintenance supply programs, you know, all the way up to smart home technology. So any of those type of things in utility billing. Some people think of utility billing is outside of ancillary services. So part of it is when you see some of these or read these articles out there that say, hey, XYZ company is making, you know, five or five hundred or six hundred dollars in ancillary revenue, it's really based on, okay, what are they throwing into that mix? And you have to really determine that because if you don't consider utilities, that number drops by half. If you don't consider maintenance supplies and car, you know, carpeting and paint and all those other supplies and look at the savings that you can get them, then that drops it even more. So those are, so those are kind of some of the things of when I look at ancillary services, it's really a, a owner decision on what they want to throw into that pot. Second part, when you said, why is there, why is it important? Um, there's a myriad. Obviously, there's revenue generation, and revenue generation can be both income coming in, but it also could be an expense reduction if you look at it that way. You know, if I can save $500 a month on my trash bill by renegotiating it, that's $500 positive to the property. But, you know, other things are it helps you adjust your market pricing if you're able to offer a lot of additional features and services, you know, coffee bar pet walking, you know, dry cleaning, drop off and pick up, it elevates the community, which then you could actually probably charge a few extra dollars in rent. So that's another reason. Obviously, it's adding services. The more services, the more features, the more bennies that you can bring to your residents, you know, the more likely they're happy, they're happier and they're more likely to stay or renew. Affects your bottom bottom line, it affects NOI. All these extra revenue dollars coming into the property help your budget and eventually will convert into a better NOI. Also helps having a good strategy helps you understand what you have on each property. You know, part of the thing is if you don't know what you don't have, it's very difficult to figure out how are you going to keep up with, you know, the competition. If they're all offering a certain service or a certain service type of package and you're not, but you're not tracking that or not looking at it on a regular basis, you may fall behind the eight ball. You're, you know, you're losing you're losing market share, you're losing ground. And it, you know, strategically helps you figure out how to move forward on your different communities and your portfolio wide. What do you need to do? How do you need to improve your property? What are the best services? What are the ways to elevate the community 
without possibly bringing on another service provider or redecorating the property, putting in a new lobby, other expensive items that you may have to do. So hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, I think that gives us a, a, a very good overview. So if I am a, a community director at a student property, I'm uh, looking at my budget and I can see that I've got revenue, obviously. I'm wanting to collect rent from each of my each of my beds that I'm charging rent for. But anything beyond rent, then I have an opportunity to uh, to add to that because really at a, at a property of any type, actually, I'm looking at revenue and expenses. I can control revenue. I can control expenses. Uh, I can't control the mortgage. I can't control the taxes, but at least on the revenue side, I do have some uh, some leeway there. I've also got the ability to, uh, to look at expenses. But if I can find other ways to bring in revenue, that's what ancillary services is all about, it sounds like. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, but it's also not just that, but you're looking at if, all, let's just take something example. Every one of the other properties offers, you know, let's just say a bike station or a car charging station, and you don't. When people are looking at the communities and your rents are the same, they may they may gravitate towards the guy that has, you know, the pet service field or the car charging station, and you don't have that, those can be amenities. They could be ancillary services that you're providing to your residents. So you, by looking at it, people are going to gravitate to those that want those services. And if you don't offer them, you're losing that segment of the market. So that's part of it also is not just, it's not always just revenue generation, but it's making sure that you are able to provide the services that your residents are looking for. Right. So understanding your market, understanding what, you know, what students want when they're coming into a property uh, or an area, they may be actually moving from another area of the country, for example. So they, they may have been used to having certain amenities in the area they grew up in, and now they're suddenly thrust into a new area. Uh, they're coming in, they're getting ready to, to go to school, and now they're trying to find some of those same types of things that they had been used to before. So not only understanding what's happening locally, in the area they're moving to, but then uh, doing some understanding of each of these uh, prospective residents to find out what they had before, and then measuring yourself. And then once you do that measurement, obviously, then it's the reactionary time to start developing a strategy to uh, to find ways to earn additional income. So yeah, right. makes a lot of sense there. And it's also making sure that you're putting in quality providers. I mean, again, you put in and it's hard to throw different things out there, but you put in a, a, you know, a, a pet waste, you know, pet little park, little dog park, and you buy a bunch of buy a bunch of products, and they all are lousy products. And the residents go in there; they're not they're going to get really. It may look really great for like a month or two or three months, but then it falls apart. And the property is so busy doing other things, they lose track, they lose focus of that. But all the residents are upset about it. Then you have to go buy another one and you're spending time negotiating and you're doing all these things. So it's not only just putting in the service, but it's making sure you're doing a quality provider. You're putting in quality services, quality equipment, quality features. You don't want to just throw them in there. You want to think about it. You want to make sure that you're looking at it in a way that benefits not only you, but your residents and you can also look at it not only on a property level, but on a regional level, on a micro and macro regional level, or even your entire portfolio. Is there a way to find those quality providers and work out a good partnership with them to get you better pricing, better revenue shares, and those type of things? So you have to look at it in multiple different ways to make sure that you're that you're delivering back to your community and your company what are the best avenue for you. 
Okay. Yeah, that's uh, definitely something we need to to make all of our uh, podcasters aware of is that there are, uh, as we know from our experience, there are some really great providers out there. And then there's some that, uh, as we've seen over the years, come and go. So it's important to do your due diligence. Uh, They may have a a really cool, new, uh, shiny new product or service, but it's important to really check them out beyond just uh, the fluff of their marketing side and really dig into the company to make sure that they're viable. Correct. Good point. So uh, as you, because we kind of look through opportunities here and we identify areas of uh, revenue generation, we'd like to talk a little bit about what are the more common ones that you've experienced over the years and what, you know, what works and doesn't work. And then uh, we can get more into them, I would call maybe more esoteric things where they're up and coming. Uh, there may be things that we can look at as a sort of a future of ancillary services. But, you know, start us off here. What are the what are the major areas of income probability that you see? The biggest one that I can say without a doubt, and it's not really an income generator, it's an expense reduction, is utility billing. If you're not passing through to your residence, your water, your gas, your electric, those type of fees, there's no other revenue generating program that I can bring you that will impact your community more than passing those fees onto your residents, either through submetering, rubs, however you want to do it. Somehow getting those, having your residents pay their portion or their fair share of those, that's that's the biggest thing that you'll ever do. So if you're not doing it, it's definitely something you need to look at and see if, if you can find a way to do it. Um, that's the first thing. The other big ones, you know, obviously telecom, doing marketing programs, doing uh, bulk service programs with, with the telecom, with the cable internet providers. If you have laundry facilities or you're renting out washers and dryers to the residents, that's a huge one. Then you get into the other stuff that is more on a property basis that I, I don't focus on, but I know they're available, is um, unit upgrades. You know, giving them the ability, hey, you charge them for a few dollars extra to put in a ceiling fan. You know, new, new blinds, new upgraded bathroom those type of things, you know, pet fees, security deposit, pet fees, and those type of things are very, very, very common. Same with parking spaces or parking garages and things like that. Those are very, very revenue friendly for communities. Other things are amenity fees. A lot of communities are starting to offer charging an amenity fee, which basically gives them like Wi-Fi in the Wi-Fi in the clubhouse, Wi-Fi at the pool, maybe gives them X amount of, of photocopying done or scanning mail services, kind of like a small Kinko's or something in the community, as well as just the telecom, you know, also offsets their fitness center or the pool and stuff like that, or some of the amenity fees, kind of looking at more of the hotel side, where when you go to a hotel now, they charge you your hotel, your room, plus they have a amenity fee or concierge fee or whatever they want to call it. Those are some of the bigger areas. Some communities are starting to look at captives, which is an insurance type of program where they're self-insuring because they have so much trouble getting, in a lot of areas, they have trouble getting residents to take renter's insurance. So kind of creating captives and, and, and requiring residents to take renter's insurance is another one that seems to be growing lately. All right. So now I've got my strategy in place. I'm, I'm going to look through and and uh, I've done what I could do on rent. Uh, I've talked to my uh you know, possibly my regional manager. Maybe I've got a, a corporate strategy from uh, from the home office that says I need to implement revenue management and be able to know how that works. And I'm now being able to get to a point where 
I am looking at different telecom vendors or laundry vendors. I've got my utility billing lined up. But what are the uh, what are some of the other ways? We talked a little bit about parking. You know, we've heard things about crazy things with robotics and other types of, of things. And then we've got the whole smart home piece. So how are those newer sort of coming on the scene types of uh, ancillary services driving revenue? And do you see that happening immediately now? Or is that still a, a number of those things? Maybe you could discuss a few of them. Are a number of those things on the future roadmap as opposed to being here today? Most of our here today, um, the biggest one that's future is this implementation of 5G which everybody's talking about, 5G this, 5G that. Everybody says it's going to be a game changer because it's going to make everything faster on your on your mobile phones. It's going to give you a lot more bandwidth, a lot more power. It's going to bring in a new level of apps and ability to connect with people and do things. That is still several years out. They're slowly starting to roll out 5G and test 5G. But once they roll it out and test it, you're still going to take a while before it becomes ubiquitous across the country and people start actually developing apps and developing programs that are going to run over 5G. And nobody knows, really. That's kind of the future. It's what's going to happen. Nobody really knows. So that one is, I'd say, farther, far off. Uh, smart home technology is here and it continues to get better. And at this point in time, it really depends on where you are in the gamut and how comfortable you are bringing in the smart home technology. It goes from anywhere from a couple, you know, 50, 75, $100 a unit that you have to invest all the way up to five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars $800 a unit to invest in the equipment. And then you got a monthly fee on top of that, that you have to pay to be able to manage and maintain those smart, the smart units. Right now, there's ability to increase your rent because you have a smart unit at some point in time what that date is i'm not really sure um it really depends on the adoption of the technology into apartment communities at some point in time that that differentiator will disappear because so many communities will have it or so many communities everybody will be offering it it's no longer a competitive it's no longer an advantage a competitive advantage it's more the norm so in regards to that it's a short-term bump in your rent that eventually may disappear and again depending on the markets depending on how great you go into the smart technology depends on how much of a bump you can get if you're just walking around offering people you know a google voice activated thing that's more of a here you go, hand it out, and it's a moving gift, as opposed to actually being able to dim lights and being able to set moods and turn on the heat and turn off the heat and do all those type of things, start your coffee pot, uh, drop lines, those type of things. Bringing those type of features in is obviously more expensive. So, Andrew, yes, I think you covered most of the areas there from uh, from everything we should be doing to some of the things that uh, we can be doing. And uh, just, just hearing all the different options here, I'm sure a lot of our folks that are, are listening in today would probably ask questions of, wow, there's a lot of vendors. There are a lot of options. There's a lot of new technology coming along. There's technology I should be taking advantage of. So maybe my next question is, how do I engage with all these various vendors? I'm sure there are those who are uh, contacting properties today, property management companies, owners, et cetera, and asking to provide a, an overview of their goods and services and finding time to be able to do that. But once I've gone through that process and I have begun to 
narrow down the list of vendors that are providing the services I think are going to give me the best uh, best bang for my buck, so to speak, and the best revenue I can possibly get, or the best amenities uh, that are going to retain residents and uh, and keep make students happy. How do I get started with the contacts and the contracts and an implementation strategy and you know really consistent follow up to be sure that I'm getting the best I can possibly get out of these services. So I don't just set them and forget them, so to speak, but I've got to enter into contracts, maybe discuss a little bit about how that works. And then what are the follow-up items that need to be done? And, and you know, how can, how can that be accomplished? Okay. Big question. Let me see if I can answer it or break it down. The first thing that I would say is you need to look at not only on a property level, you need to look at a portfolio or a regional level. So you really should have one or two or three or however many people or, you know, shameless plug, contact somebody like me that can look at your entire portfolio because you need to know what you have in place before you can start jumping out there and bringing in other service providers seen it a lot where an owner doesn't even realize they have an agreement in place with one provider and they go out and sign an agreement with another provider and now you're in default of both agreements because nobody spent the time to look and see if there was another agreement in place. So the first thing you really need to do is get a handle on who, what services and what providers you have on your communities so you can find out where the opportunities lie, number one, with existing providers if their agreements are expired if they're not providing all the services that they could. Seeing a lot of agreements where you have a cable company that they're only marketing or they're only allowed to market cable TV. They're not marketing internet. That's crazy. In today's world, they sh- you should be marketing their internet service, not just their cable TV service. So you need to make sure that, hey, are we marketing? Are we promoting? Are we, you know, do we have an agreement in place that covers all your services? If not, how do we get those those other features and all those services in? But at the same time, you can look and see how many providers you have, various providers in the same market. You know, you could have five or six different providers providing the same service, but at different properties. Is there a way to consolidate those type of things and build leverage with your portfolio with a one or two providers to make sure that you're bettering your, you know, your services, bettering the, the call time, you know, bettering discounts or rebates or revenue or whatever it may be, there's advantages of, of scale with the economies of scale, bringing your communities together in a portfolio and working with one or two providers to build, to build a better program. So the first thing I always say is you need to know what you have is gathering copies of all your agreements, putting them in some sort of database, Excel spreadsheet, whatever, you, whatever you need to keep track of all your contracts with the providers, figuring out who your contacts are with those providers, what services they're providing, any additional information when the contracts expire. Do they have things like auto renewals or do they do they just expire? Do they have auto renewals? Are they perpetual agreements? What are they? Um, from there, you're able to get a better understanding of what you have and where those opportunities lie or hey, we allow pets, but we don't have any program with a company like a WAG or or a Rover or somebody like that. Let's try to put something in place, but it's not only at com- community A, it's at community B, C, and D. Let's see what we can do. So those are the first things really is just gather that information and see what you have. And from there, once you have that information, you are able to find where you're able to take advantage of negotiating new agreements, bringing in new services, bringing in new features, 
seeing what other communities are doing. Like it may be even in, within your own community, with your own company, a regional manager across the, you know, across town who's handling another, por- uh, another, you know, six or eight properties may have already negotiated an agreement with a provider that you're like, hey, this is a great service. You know, we love Updater. Throw names out there that people, I, I think, probably will know. We know Updater. We know Mobile Doorman. We're using them at these eight. Let's just bring them over to this community so we can offer the same benefits and offer those same services to our communities on this side of, on this, in this region. So that's really what you need to do is gather that. And then once you have that database, it's just somebody constantly looking at it on a regular basis. I look at my, I look at contracts every day. So I'm looking at my database, filtering it, sorting it, looking at where, what agreements are expired, where the opportunities lie so that I can bring out and find those opportunities to negotiate agreements for my clients. So it's not something that you just negotiate an agreement, put it in the drawer and forget it. You need to constantly review it, stay on top of it with the providers. You know, if there's a revenue share, track the revenue shares, make sure if they if they are not generating what you expected, figure out why. How do you improve that? Work with the providers to figure out what we can do to increase it on both sides. What are they doing? What is there better communication? Do we need to do a little more marketing? Do we need to change the collateral? Do we need to change pricing? What do we need to do to make this program work? So again, just it's it's not just a put it sign a contract, stick it in a door, and forget it, and say we're done. You need to oversee and manage these. So you really should have somebody at a community or in a region or within a company that's constantly looking at this stuff. And otherwise you're not going to maximize your not your strategy is going to fall apart if it's just sign and move on. Well you definitely brought up an interesting point here that I know in, in my days of, uh, of managing contracts when I was running operations, uh, the big challenge that we had was the organizational side. And we were managing a number of number of properties, lots of units, uh, lots of student housing communities, and each one of them had its own nuance. So I could look at it from a perspective of an individual uh, community director all the way through to the regional side, to the regional vice president and up. And uh, coming into um, a situation where maybe the organization of those contracts wasn't as good as it could have been, um, having a system of some type to keep track of these was very important because we were running telecom contracts that, for example, had a, uh, maybe it was a 15-year contract or a 10-year contract that was signed way back when, but it also had a automatic five-year renewal and you had to have 60 to 90 days notice before that happened and so if you weren't paying attention to this you could easily go into renewal when you really wanted the opportunity to go out and renegotiate that contract so keeping these things in one place uh, is extremely important and i know you've gone through this you started out i'm sure with pencil and paper and moved to excel and moved to maybe access and then finally just decided that, look, maybe there's a, a better way to do this and developed an application to, to handle it, right? Yep. I bit the bullet. <laughs> I got <laughs> trying, to neg- trying to keep track of all those contracts for all my different clients and trying to keep track of all the different services, when the contracts expired, when payments were due, when terminations were coming up, when auto renewals occurred, and when I needed to know about them because, again, you may not, you may say, it may say 90 days renewal period, send a termination notice 90 be- days before, otherwise it automatically expires. It may, you may know, or in my case, I know that in some cases it may take nine months to a year to negotiate a new telecom agreement. 
So I need to know well in advance of that 90 days, because if I sent, just sent the termination notice and then tried to negotiate a new agreement, there's a dead space the provider may pull out, especially if you're looking at going with another provider. So I know I need to start working on it one year before that that renewal reminder date so that I had everything in place so I could send that termination notice in confidence. So yes, I've developed software to help me track and manage that and shameless plugs. You know, I'm in the process of working on getting it to a point where I can actually license that to the apartment communities, uh, apartment management companies. And we're looking at betas now, but we're doing some major changes to it in the next 90 days here. So, but that's not what we're here to talk about is do shameless plugs or more. We're more to talk about the ancillary services, but uh, you know, it's something that's coming and if people are interested, I'm more than happy to talk to them more about it, you know, off, you know, if they ever want to contact me, but you know, I've seen sure. getting back to the original thing, what you were talking about, I've seen some agreements that have had a one year termination notice. So, you know, if you do a 15 year agreement or a 10 year agreement, the person who signed it 10 years ago, there's a good chance that they're no longer in the same position or they've moved on or gone to a different company. And that piece of paper could be stuck somewhere in a file drawer that nobody's looked at in two or three years. And when somebody finally thinks about it, it's like, oh, I need to give notice, you know, six months ago. And this thing now automatically renewed for another five or 10 years. And you're stuck with that. And it's very hard to get out of those type of agreements unless you have really good relationships with providers, which is another thing, another reason to have a good strategy with a good ancillary service strategy is you've built relationship with providers that you know them, they know you, you're working with them, you're helping them out, they're helping you out. And in some cases, they're willing to help you in a situation where that occurred. It's like, hey, we just picked up this property. It was well past its time frame is there a way that we can do something here? And there, there's a lot more flexibility when you have somebody as opposed to just picking up the phone and calling them once every five or six years and saying and demanding something. Yeah, so as a community director, if I'm coming on property uh, relatively new, the first thing I'd want to do is to see if there's any information available for me there. If not, I can start tracking it backwards. I can at least have a spreadsheet or a Google sheet or something along those lines that uh, allows me to uh, to see what may be available just based upon the, the folks that are coming on site from time to time, the different vendors, and then walking my way back, working directly with the vendors to get copies of the contracts. If my corporate office doesn't have it, if I'm running a, a property on my own, then I've got to do that as well. So there are ways to uh, to start putting the pieces of the puzzle together exactly. from point A to point B to find out what you have and then setting that strategy. So I know we spent a good bit of time on that, but it's very important. This is a this is probably the, the biggest thing that uh, I've seen in my career of, that's overlooked is not knowing what you have, as you mentioned earlier, and then not being able to follow up because you don't know what you have. So getting that, uh, that, that baseline of understanding and then documenting that allows you to then create that strategic portion to go forward. So uh, as we kind of move through, there's a segue over. Before we jump forward, I mean, sure. There are many a times I've seen a numerous number of times where an owner has recently purchased a property and during the due diligence, five or six service contracts were never disclosed. So the new owner thinks that they have a clean slate and they're asking us to Hey, put in a contract this, put in a contract this, can you, can you negotiate something here? And you reach out to the different various providers and all of a sudden, boom, hey, guess what? 
there was a contract signed 12 months ago. <laughs> you can't do anything. The previous, the previous owner received all the upfront door fees and the signing bonuses, and you're stuck with this really bad contract for the next five, six, seven, eight years. So it is very, you know, reinforcing. It's very critical that you spend the time to figure out what you have. Even if you don't have a copy of a contract, doesn't mean there isn't one there. That's very, uh, very good information to know. And uh, it, it kind of befalls to those folks who are in the acquisitions mode to identify those contracts. And even you know, part of our takeover strategy had been in operations of the property to review all those contracts and be sure that we knew what, what we were getting ourselves into. So all good points there, Andrew. So we've talked to, uh, about a few pitfalls or gotchas that are associated with ancillary services. We've touched upon the, the fact that we've got to have a good strategy in place to know where we are before we can find out how we can improve. But as you're kind of thinking through, what do you see are some of the other, I'd call them, as I said, pitfalls or gotchas that, uh, that come up or that you've seen in your experience when you're uh, evaluating an ancillary services strategy for a, either a, a property or a student portfolio? Uh, some of the biggest gotchas, I mean, we've, we've talked about a few already, but the biggest thing is not to focus on the revenue that somebody's going to throw your way or promise you. You get a lot of these companies that'll come in and say, hey, we're going to give you this great signing bonus or you're going to make X amount of money if you if you sign with us. Look at that and look at it clear, closely because the revenue that you generate off of any ancillary service program that you put in place pales in comparison to the revenue you're going to lose from lost rents and from your reputation if you have a bad service or a bad service provider on your community. You bring in somebody, and I've seen it, communities I've, I'm trying to work through one now where the property signed an agreement, the previous owner signed an agreement with a provider to provide 100 megabits of internet speed to a 264 unit property. 100 megabits to the property. That means all all the students that are living there have to share 100 megabits and that agreement is in place for another five or six years that's horrible residents are screaming because they can't get online they're trying to renew people and people are like we don't want to live here and they got a bad reputation and those type of things are happening and how do you get out of that nothing that you do lowering your rents or anything is going to say people and students especially are going to say yes i'm going to live in this community and i can't get internet access i can't watch netflix without it stuck without it freezing up on me i can't get online i can't do my i can't do my research because it's too slow because it's a shared bandwidth of 100 megabits for 260 a 260 unit property which then you multiply that by two or three for the number of beds it's crazy so that's something that's really focus on. Don't look at the dollars, look at the service, look at the service provider. Make sure, and in relation to that is, make sure that you're thinking about future-proofing your agreements. You know, again, maybe when this contract was signed five, six years ago, in that market, 100 megabits was great. Now, people are pushing gigs and 500, 300, 500 megabits to a unit. So, you have to think about future-proofing your agreements to make sure that you're not thinking of just today, but what's going to happen, how things are going to grow, how things are going to change over the next couple, over the next X number of years. Other things to look at are, you know, locking in with a provider for too long. Things are constantly changing in the, in in this in this world now. You know, what was what was really cool two and three years ago could already be out of date style. If you and another provider that's that everybody likes, you want to tra- switch over. You can't do that because you're you're in a, a long-term agreement. 
all the everybody else around you has gone with this new provider. You're still with the older provider. You know, nobody wants to play with them anymore. Think of it, you know, you look at uh, Instagram versus Facebook. If all you're doing is Facebook and, and you're not allowed to do Instagram anymore or you're not allowed to do Instagram because you're locked in with Facebook, how that hurts you and how that impacts you and how that affects you, you know, and it would affect your community. So those are things. Look at right of first refusals. There's a lot of agreements out there that say that after the end of the term, they have the right of first refusal, which means you have to give them a propose whatever proposals you got from any other provider, you have to give to that to the current provider. And if they match it, then you're stuck with the new with the same provider. You can't get out of it. You have to go with that same provider that you're with now, even though you may not like them. If the terms and conditions are exact are are the same or better than what the, the other proposals were. Auto renewal clauses, again, we've talked that a little bit, just making sure that you are aware of those and you're okay with them and that you're staying on top of them so the proper contracts don't auto, automatically renew without your knowledge. Another big one is if you're generating revenue from um, a program or from a service provider, make sure you're getting paid on all the services that they're marketing or promoting. I've seen too many agreements where you're getting paid on in, in the telecom world, you get paid on video only, but who's who, who's taking video now? I mean, it's dropping it's dropping dramatically. I think it'll change in the future, but right now, if everybody's taking data and taking internet service, and you're marketing and promoting the internet service, and everybody's signing up for it, but nobody's signing up for the video service, you're getting no revenue, but you're doing all the work that's what's listed in the agreement, but you're not receiving the benefits of marketing and promoting that service. So make sure that what you're marketing and what you're promoting are in correlation with what you're going to receive compensation for if you're going to receive any compensation for it. Again, compensation is not always dollars. It could be something else. Uh, comp accounts, reduced fees, discounts on office, you know, services. They bring in cookies every week or they, you know, contribute to a pool party. There's many other things than just dollars, but those are the things you got to make sure of that you're okay with. The other gotcha is really things like, you know, how much time is the staff going to be? You bringing all these programs and services in, how much time is it going to take for the property staff to handle this and run this and oversee this program? If if a leasing agent has to sit there and spend another 15 minutes with, an, with, a, with a prospect trying to explain a program to them and why the benefits are, they're going to give up. They're not going to do it. It's just they got too many other things to do and residents will get frustrated and they're going to ignore them. So you got to see how much time it's taking to market, promote it, how much effort is involved with the leasing staff and trying to explain it to the residents. You know, and one of the things which one of the thing, other things is you don't want to get out there and start nickel and diming your residents. If all of a sudden it's like, hey, we're going to charge you for this, we're going to charge you for this, we're going to charge you for this. Oh, you want Wi-Fi access? We're going to charge you for Wi-Fi access in the clubhouse. Oh, you want coffee? We're going to charge you for coffee. We're going to charge you for the bagels, whatever it may be. At some point in time, residents are going to go. You're just killing us. We don't want to get all. We don't want to get nickeled and dimed. And the other gotcha really is, I see so many owners that just sign agreements that are stuck in front of them, without having somebody that knows those service agreements. You know, either a lawyer or somebody that's done enough of them that has some sort of knowledge base behind them to say, hey, this owner is taking advantage of you or the not owner, this provider is taking advantage of you. This is too lopsided. This is too one-sided of an agreement. Here's some things that, and they can catch a lot of these other things such as auto renewals, right of first refusals, uh, hidden clauses of perpetuity, uh, those type of things. So 
I mean, there's a ton more gotchas, but I think I've kind of beat that dead horse already. Yeah, I think the the key takeaway here is be diligent and be aware. And uh, uh, there's lots of things that you have to be aware of, but you know, oftentimes the benefits outweigh the uh, the extra effort that's required to monitor and maintain these. Yep. So all good points there. We uh, and, we've we've kind of gone over the the more common methods of of earning you know ancillary income. We've talked about telecom agreements, some renters insurance, you know, things like that. Um, what are what are some other areas that you see? Talked some of the up and coming things. We talked a little bit about five G earlier, but as you mentioned earlier, there's more than just revenue generating. There's expense reduction. You can look at what you're buying for your maintenance, repair, and operating expenses, and and some of your purchasing aspects on the property. Um, but there are other services that vendors are providing too that you can take a look at. So maybe we talk uh, just a, a couple of minutes about some of those some of those other options that are in the expense reduction side. Maybe not no maybe not as many on the revenue generating side. Part of it is really the way I look at things. Instead of looking at actual services like telecom and throwing in a bucket, there's I call it, there's categories. I, I kind of break out ancillary services into a into different categories based on what they do. We've talked a lot about what I call partnering or partnering slash marketing category, which is really when you're out there marketing them. You sign an agreement with a provider to market and promote their services in exchange for something, revenue, discounts, whatever. Those kind of are the telecom agreements, the renter's insurance, the furniture rental, even some of the fitness services where you're promoting that service provider to your residents. In exchange, you're getting some sort of benefit. The, uh, another kind of bucket or category is what I call accessorizing, where you're basically installing a product or service on the community, and there's usually some sort of, again, revenue, rebates, discounts, whatever. Those are things like ATM machines, uh, vending machines, laundry facilities. Those There's an actual provider that's going on. They're actually putting something physical on your community, and in exchange, there's some sort of rent back to the community for the space that they're taking whether it's rebates or whatever you want to call it. Another one is what I like to call the reallocation of space, which is taking existing space that you have now that's usually underused or kind of just repurposing space that's already there on your community. Those are things like storage lockers, uh, reserve parking. You may even put in a car wash and car vac type of station and even car charging stations where you're able to take existing space again, repurpose it, and generate revenue from it by charging an additional fee or charging, you know, an upcharge to have those type of features. One of the other ones, it's not really talked about a lot, and it's not, depending on where you are, it could be a little larger than than in other markets. And that's non what I call non-resident use. And that's really where a provider uses some space on your property, not for the community, but for an area in general. That's stuff like rooftop antennas, billboards, those are type of things. I mean, you look at way back when, before they changed, uh, they changed out Wrigley Park, all those billboards that were people are spending money putting billboards or putting Budweiser sign in, on the buildings in the outfield of Wrigley Park. They got, they got revenue from that because it was a great advertising space. But is the property getting any benefit? It they're getting the rep, the owners getting the revenue, but it's not a benefit to the residents. 
So those are several of the categories. And then obviously we just talked about expense reduction, which is your utility submetering, passing on trash fees, pest control fees, paint and floor covering. You know, you can do deals to reduce your cost for paint, reduce your cost for floor covering and, you know, maintenance supplies. Those are some of the other areas. And then there's always the reviewing your existing contracts to find out where the opportunities lie to bring on new services. And that's where you go into your exclusive and your non-exclusive, which makes more sense for you bulk or, you know, in some cases, volume discounts, which is more in the maintenance supply area and other aspects where you're purchasing, purchasing a product on a regular basis. Is that kind of what you were asking for? I'm, I may have gone slightly off tangent, but I just want to double check. Is that what you were looking for? Or were you looking for specific services? No, yeah. I mean, those are those are the things that uh, I think all of us, when we're looking at, a, at an ancillary services strategy, should focus on. Not, as you said earlier, not just the revenue, but look at the services coming in. Is it going to help my property? Uh, is it going to be um, beneficial to the residents? Is it what they're looking for. You know, when a, when a group of students come in, uh, they have certain needs. And we all know in a student property, the biggest need is I want internet access. You know, you can, right. I can jokingly say plumbing is secondary, lighting is secondary, <laughs> give me internet access you know, first. So I've got yeah. to make sure that strategy is spot on uh, from a student perspective. Beyond that, some of the other things that are, uh, that I see kind of happening too on the student property side are same things that we see on a conventional asset. I mean, dog washing facilities might be something that, that they want to take a look at now because everybody seems to have a pet as long as you know they can have a pet at their property depends on uh, what the resident rental criteria is but uh, those are things that can also be uh, beneficial but as you said earlier going through and, and reducing expenses on a property is another way to drive revenue to the bottom line so we've we've gone through that so as we've kind of looked at overall these uh, various different ways to earn income and reduce our expenses. Tell us a little bit about your firm. You know, how does ancillary services management help my property uh, or my company succeed in this area of ancillary services? Wow. <laughs> we do all of this for you. <laughs> How's that for an answer? In a nutshell, basically, we take this, we take the tracking management negotiation RFP, we take all of that off your plate. We give you your time back to focus on the core core aspects of your business, keeping your residents happy, making sure that you have staff in place, making sure the property looks good. And we're in the background being that extra liaison for you. So if you do have a problem with a provider, you can reach out to us and then we'll take on the responsibility of resolving your issues. So that's probably kind of one of the biggest things is we're a time saver, um, giving you your time to focus on other things. Like I said, we collect all the contracts, we enter them into our database so that we know when contracts are expiring, what services you don't have. We can, we're constantly out there looking for new services, new opportunities, meeting with different providers. And when we think that there's a service that you would like, we'd let you know about it. Um, and therefore we can then work with you and work with the provider to see if it fits your community. And if it does, we'll negotiate the agreement on your behalf help you implement the program and kind of oversee and manage it and make sure things are happening. Make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing on both sides. We make sure that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And if there's an issue, we can work with you to help address that. And we work with the providers to make sure that they're happy and everybody's doing what they're doing. We're also tracking and managing any revenue. If there's a revenue share component, we're tracking that to make sure that 
when the, the payments number one come in, they come in on time. If they're not, we're following up with the providers. And when they do come in, we're verifying and looking at them to see if, the, if they fall within the tolerances that we believe they should. And if they are outside of those tolerances, we're kind of double checking to find out why, what's going on, what's causing this so that we can get it back to you to see if we need to make adjustments on how we're marketing, promoting, or if there's something else that we need to do. And it could be as simple as, hey, a new property manager came on and they didn't realize they were supposed to be marketing and promoting the service. So all of a sudden there's a drop in the number of subscribers, uh, that type of thing. So let's get, let's make sure the property manager knows that this program is in place. One of the other things that we do is we, as I say, we help uh, eliminate what I call corporate brain drain, which is when people who negotiated these agreement, an agreement in, in place, most of these agreements are five, 10, 15 years long. And so the person who was there when they negotiate it may not be there now when it's coming up for renewal and or even partially through. And so we're there to constantly be that steady force for owners to say, hey, no matter what happens with your turnover of your staff, which we all know is going to happen, people in this industry, people are very, very mobile and they constantly like to you know, improve themselves, which everybody wants to do is improve what their, their, their skill set. So they're moving to bigger and better things. But who's keeping an eye on the house of what's in place? So we're that steady force that's going to say, no matter what happens, we know what contracts you have in place, where they are, who's provider, who the provider contact is. We can get you in touch with it. And if we're tracking the revenue, here's a history of the revenue. Here's a history of everything that's going on. Um, kind of one of my sayings is, we, you know, for us is we handle the details, you reap the rewards. Shameless plug. Hey, you know, we've got a we've got uh, services out there for those who don't have the expertise in house, and so it's always helpful to. We're looking to these providers to uh, to give us services on the ancillary side. It's good to have uh, options, let's say, for uh, those who can handle. The, the details that handle the vendors. So that's uh, certainly nothing wrong with uh, having options to do that and finding niches in our marketplace. So kind yeah. of in conclusion, and Andrew, uh, we've talked a lot about how ancillary services uh, works, what it is, uh, what's involved, uh, some of the pitfalls, the gotchas, the, the, the good, the bad, and the ugly, so to speak. But in conclusion, I uh, just want to get your thoughts on how the deployment of a solid ancillary services strategy will help our properties, uh, both the managers, regionals, corporate office, et cetera. How do, they, how do these help succeed with the overall budget objectives? Uh, what can you tell us a little bit about that as you've, as you've gone through the years of service here on the ancillary side, what do you see happening on uh, the, the impact to a property's budget or to their bottom line? Okay. Um, basically, the biggest thing is having a solid program in place will definitely make sure that you are number one, not leaving any any of the quote on nickels, dimes, quarters, pennies, whatever you want to call it. You're not leaving money on the table. By having a solid program in place, you're able to maximize your revenue, maximize your expense reduction because of those relationships you built and the contracts you put in place. You also can make sure that you're maximizing the agreements that you put in place. There's a lot of agreements that may be revenue generating but offer additional bennies that you may not be aware of unless somebody's looking at it. Good examples are telecom. They offer, you know, depending on the size of the community, you could get five or six complimentary, you know, video TV, video accounts or whatever for the common area TVs that are in your lobby, in your elevator, et cetera. You know, you could possibly get a complimentary internet for your office, a complimentary phone service for your office, something like that. You may get, uh, somebody may contribute 
X amount of dollars to, you know, a pool party or a yearly function that you have at the property or contribute wine for a wine social. All those things reduce your expenses um, for your bottom line. And if you're not taking advantage of them because you didn't know about them, that hurts. The other thing is really it's keeping up with or staying ahead of your competition. You need to, you know, everybody's always doing shopping and always looking at the competition. But when they're looking at the competition, are you really looking at what are all the bennies? What are all the amenities? What are all the services they're providing? And if you're not, there could be a potential that you see a shift in the number of your residents moving to other communities because it could be as simple as they have a different pet policy. They have that dog washing. They have the dog park. It could be as simple as that, that they, hey, we're going to move over here because they offer these things and you don't. You may have the space. You may have the ability to offer them, but you didn't think about it because you didn't know and you didn't have those things in place. So it's definitely keeping up with or staying on, staying up with your competition or, you know, keeping that competitive advantage. And on the flip side is not falling behind. You know, the last thing you want to do is follow behind because if you start falling behind and you're not staying competitive with everybody around you, it's going to affect your bottom line. Not only is that, is you're going to then start going, okay, what do I do? Most owners immediately think of, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to drop my credit score so that I can increase the, the number of um, number of applicants. I may drop my rents. And when you start dropping your rents, that affects your bottom line, which affects your budget, which then you may not be able to do all this, all the fixes that you want to do, which then can cause more problems down the ride, which causes more drops in your, in your, in your rents, which cause, you know, a, a vicious cycle that can go downward and a property can spin out of control. You know, it could, I'm not going to say it will, but those are things that can happen by not staying competitive and not, not looking at all the amenities and service and features that residents are demanding these days. Well, Andrew, I can't uh, thank you enough for, uh stopping in today and, and sharing this information with us. And uh, we'll certainly be able to provide uh, with uh, Wes's help on the Student Housing Insight side of the fence there with contact information, et cetera, uh, how we can learn more. If uh, those of you who are out there have questions or would like to learn more about how to establish your ancillary services strategy or even just get a, what I would call a pre-review, let's go take a look at where you are today and where you might need to be. Uh, we'd love to be able to talk to you a little bit more about that. So, Andrew, thanks again for stopping by and visiting with us, and uh, we hope that uh, you have a great rest of your day. Well, thank you, Ken. One last thing. Um, I believe I have created just kind of a little template Excel spreadsheet for people if they want to get started, um, and I believe they can either email you or Wes. I believe it's I can email Wes or go to his website, and they'll be able to download kind of like a sample Excel spreadsheet that I've created for everyone. And it's very flexible. They can add as many additional fields or, you know, columns that they want to grow it as detailed as they want, but I kind of gave them the basics. So you know, if people are really interested and they want to kind of start looking at things and start gathering information, they'd be able to go, go get this um, Excel spreadsheet and download it and start working on it. And again, if anybody ever has any questions or comments, wants to reach out to me, feel free to, you know, I believe Wes will have all my information on his website. And thank you again for the time, Ken and Wes. I really appreciate it and have a wonderful weekend. Thank you very much. All right. Take care. Well, Ken, again, like I said, I, I know that that was a long interview and, and and a lot of things may have been repeated but i think a lot of them you know certainly bear repeating but i think again i appreciate you 
so much bringing uh, or, or taking the time to interview Andrew and bringing that valuable information to, to the audience. Any, any one key takeaway that you would, that you would suggest for our audience after that? Well, Wes, I think uh, a lot of information was disseminated during that podcast, and I hope, uh, and, and I'm actually looking forward to some feedback from folks who are, who are listening in. But I think the key takeaway for uh, for anyone is if you don't have an ancillary services strategy within your organization, either at your property or within your uh, your particular company, I would definitely encourage you bubbling that up to, uh, if you're a community director, tell your regional about it. If you're a regional let your uh, RVP know and or let your corporate staff know that uh, this is an area that uh, does not need to be left undone because really doing nothing is not going to help you increase revenue or net operating income at your property. So that's my key takeaway is yeah. uh, investigate it, find out what's going on, get a hold of Andrew, find out someone else in this industry that does this at, at a bare minimum, just um, do some additional research on it. Uh, feel free to reach out to us. We'll be glad to talk a little bit more at length about it, but um, at a bare minimum, do something. Yeah. And, and really quick, let's, let's tell everybody how they can get that spreadsheet or that tool that, that Andrew mentioned uh, in order to, to put everything together. It's, it's a great manual tool for you to use just to get started in that process. And then it's, you know, as you, as you go through that and kind of decipher things, and you end up having a conversation with, with Andrew, you've got, you know, you're completely organized at that point to have a great conversation. Um, but this is the way everybody can get it. Hopefully everyone that's listening right now knows about the new student housing insight website. And uh, we did an episode a few back introducing the SHI community, which is really our social community for student housing professionals on our website. And that's also going to have uh, a, a toolkit there. Uh, it's just labeled files. And that's where you're, you're going to be able to go to, to get this information. So don't worry about sending me an email and requesting the, the spreadsheet. Just go to studenthousandinsight.com. You'll go to member login over in the, in the upper right-hand corner. Click on that. Uh, you'll have to set up a password. We are in beta until June 3rd, but this podcast is, uh, I think most of the listeners will probably end up listening to it after Memorial Day weekend. Uh, so this is going to be very close to um, uh, going live. But and, and the thing is with the beta, we're far enough along with it now that we're typically approving everybody within 24 hours. So, so go join the SHI community. It will be in the in the file box over in the left hand side, and it will be labeled ASM checklist. Again, that's going to be ASM checklist. Well, Ken, I, again, I appreciate it. Thanks for thanks for putting all this together with with Andrew, and thanks for uh, uh, joining the podcast. Looking forward to the other stuff you've got going out this year. Really quick, we've got a couple of summits that are coming up. We've got Cincinnati. Uh, for the eastern Midwest states and, and the college markets there. Um, and then we've also got, so that's on June 18th. And then we've also got uh, Waco, Texas coming up on September 10th, which Buyers Access is a sponsor of as well. So I know you'll be there. 
definitely looking forward to help sponsor that show and uh i know that's going to be a great one for uh, all the folks that are out in the you know that that particular area of the country and waco is a great place to go um it's just been put on the map as you know by chip and joanna so uh we're <laughs> we're looking forward to being there and i know that the folks that are coming out are going to uh, take some time away after they're at the conference learning all the information we're going to disseminate there to be able to to go over and and check out the silos yeah yeah and actually we've got we've got uh, wake we've got the waco tour set up as well so anyone wanting to not just go to the silos but actually be able to get on a bus with everybody and and tour around to, to some of the homes um, that have been part of the fixer upper series we're going to have that available too so looking forward to uh to that for sure um, you know, one other thing there too for those of you who uh may not know i actually know where chip and joanna live so i could you know <laughs> for, the, for those of you who want to take a little uh, a detour i can uh, take you out to where they uh, where they are i know when i was uh, i lived in san antonio for three years we took a quick trip to waco and it, it's not readily published on any website anywhere or google so you have to do a little covert operation but uh, found it it's in yeah. an odd place well, and, and speaking of Waco, uh, I want to thank again Simple Bills for sponsoring this episode. Um, they're also one of our big uh, SHI Summit annual sponsors, and they are located in Waco, Texas. So uh, they're certainly going to be a part of that one as well, and looking forward to, to seeing those guys there. And, and again, if, if you heard Andrew Smith talk about it, it utilities is one of the biggest you know, leaky pipe, so to speak, in regards to lost revenue. And, it, you know, not only can simple bills help you from that standpoint by, you know, tracking peaks and valleys and, and may, what may be associated with, with that, with your utility billing, but also they're going to take so much of that administrative pain off of what's happening on site. If, if you're a site manager or a manager of a small portfolio and you're you know, still doing the spreadsheets and, and divvying everything out to, to your residents. These guys are so much more efficient and being able to do that. So again, big thanks to Simple Bills for being the sponsor of this episode. So Ken, with that being said, I think you've got maybe a little bit of a preview of, of your next operational episode that you're doing. I do. I know that, uh, first of all, thank you for allowing us to explore more on the operation side. I know we've talked a lot about, uh, you know, leasing and resident retention and other things that are obviously very important in student housing. Um, but I've got a little sneak peek for you that uh, for those of you who are really uh, way down the well in operations, uh, got a podcast coming up here in the near future with Eddie Marino, who is the chief operating officer at Cardinal Group in Denver. And Eddie and I are going Eddie's to explore. Eddie, what's that? I was just saying, yeah, Eddie's a Eddie's a great guy. He was yeah. he was part of our um, uh, site level to C suite uh, podcast that we did at Interface a year or so ago, and you know he's it's it's a great person to kind of learn it all because he's he's uh, you know he's not someone that you know has taken um, what I want to say. Yeah, he grew up through the ranks. I mean, yeah, it's it's one of the yeah. situations where uh, it it truly is an industry where you can start 
as uh, maybe the lowest paid employee within a a student housing operation and work your way all the way through to to running a 40,000 bed operation. Uh, And he is certainly uh, one of those success stories, as there are many in in student housing, but uh, uh, super guy to know. And we're going to explore a lot of areas of of operations, whether it be at the site level, you know, all the way through the uh, the C-suite and some of the experiences that he's had, we're going to share on that podcast. So uh, I just wanted to to whet everyone's appetite, so to speak, for uh, another, another really good podcast version within the operational side of the business. Great. Looking forward to it, Ken. Uh, Again, appreciate everything, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, Wes. Thanks again. We'll talk again. 